God uh, created a new heaven and a new earth. And I don't know about you, but I am excited about that possibility. Uh, I look at this sin-cursed earth and world that we live in, and uh, I can only imagine what the perfected world that He's going to create, the earth, the new earth that He's going to create, is going to be like. And if, like I said earlier, if we enjoy this earth so much, and so many times we so, so enjoy being out in nature and seeing things and just watching a beautiful sunrise or sitting on our deck as the sun goes down and the beautiful weather and the autumn fall leaves and uh, all the sounds and the smells and the things that we enjoy, could you imagine uh, having a world that is not sin-cursed? And uh, so many things that are going to be different there. Uh, the animals that I believe were still going to be there. The Bible speaks of quite a few different animals that will still be there in eternity. And uh, their nature is going to be that of uh, uh, a very docile nature. Could you imagine walking up to a lion and snuggling up to him and uh, enjoying that time of fellowship with him? Uh, the, uh, the opportunities that we'll have to enjoy things that we've never been able to enjoy this side of heaven. And I've been looking forward to that and enjoyed last week as we studied chapter 21. We saw the new Jerusalem uh, coming down out of heaven. And this is where the Lord Jesus Christ will uh, have His throne. Uh, the Bible talks about it here in chapter 22. We'll look at it again. But He'll have His throne for eternity in the new Jerusalem. Uh, it is in the new Jerusalem that we will have our, our place of abiding. That's where we'll, uh, the Bible refers to us as abiding there. Uh, I believe very uh, clearly that we will have the ability, though, to uh, go anywhere in the new earth or into the, the new heaven that God creates. And uh, I think we can go from star to star, perhaps even. Uh, but uh, certainly the Bible says that the gates of that city are never closed. And so it kind of gives the implication that there is the ability to obviously come and go there uh, and be able to enjoy the creation that God has for us. But uh, the city itself is fantastic, as we read about it. Um, huge, huge four-square uh, city and cubed is, is uh, 1,600 miles wide, 1,600 miles long, 1,600 miles high. Uh, a huge city uh, that, uh, that His throne is going to be set up in. And it's there that when we talk about uh, we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity, it really is the new Jerusalem that we're going to be in. And what we talk about oftentimes when we speak of this. And as we get to chapter number 22, uh, we find that John kind of switches in the first five or six verses here. He switches from an, uh, a description of the city from an external view and seeing it come down and talking about its walls and different uh, foundations and things. And, uh, he's going to kind of switch his uh, perspective for a minute and give us a description of the inside of the city uh, to some degree. And so let's take a look at that. And verse number 1 of chapter 22, And he showed me a pure river of, uh, of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So there's several things in this first verse that I think are very important. One of them is that this, uh, this throne is going to be the throne, the Bible says here, uh, of God and of the Lamb. So it's a shared throne. If there's ever um, any doubt about the co-equalness of the Trinity, uh, you can rest assured that uh, they each, while they may have uh, each a different uh, function or job about them, they each are uh, co-equal and yet all one. In fact, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here the Bible tells us and John tells us that this throne is the throne of God and the Lamb. 
And it's a shared throne, if you will, uh, by the Trinity. And uh, it says here uh, that he showed uh, this, uh, this, this angel that had come in chapter 21, showed him a pure water, uh, river of water of life. And it's interesting how oftentimes uh, in Scripture, Jesus speaks about uh, even to the woman at the well and says, uh, if you'd known who you were talking to, you'd ask me, and I would give you uh, water that you'll never thirst again. And uh, the Bible refers to the Bible even as the water uh, oftentimes and the, the cleansing effect, the purifying effect that it has. And so this river, uh, it's a single river that flows through uh, the city of God. And its, its headwaters, its, its beginning, is from the throne of God. And so I don't understand what all the theological implications of that are, but other than to say this, that the water that's coming from it is pure and clear, and the Bible refers to it here as the water of life, which is interesting. Everything about the internal structure of uh, this, this city, the things that we'll find in it, refer to the things of life. And uh, it's very interesting to see these things. But uh, the idea that it's a very refreshing uh, type of a picture, if you understand it, uh, the fact that it gives life and is, uh, uh, to those that drink thereof and, and that sort of thing. And then it says in verse number uh, 2, in the midst of the street of it. So there's, there's one street that's mentioned here in the city. I don't know if there may be others, but it refers to this street as the street. Uh, which means kind of gives the idea that maybe there's only one street even in heaven. Uh, I don't know that for certain, but it looks like there could be that possibility. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river. So this this is a tree. It talks about a single tree that is in the midst of the of the street of it. Uh, so in the middle of the street, and it's also on either side of the river. Uh, it says that there is this tree of life, and again. Uh, the idea of this tree being a tree of life. Now, this is either a very, very big tree uh, or a, a tree that's in multiple sections. It's all hooked together of some sort because it's in the middle of the street, but it's also on either side of the river and uh, is noted here as the tree of life. Now, there's something very unique here that I want us to take a look at in uh, verse 1. And it talks about this tree of life, and it says, "...which bear..." Twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in verses 1 and verse 2, we find two things that are given here that kind of seem a little bit out of place in, in, to some degree, because we'll be in our glorified bodies at this time. Uh, we won't have a need to drink water, and yet there's water there that the Bible talks about giving life to them that will drink it. Uh, there's a tree of life that is bearing fruit. Why would it bear fruit if the glorified body does not need to eat? And yet it is there. It is fruit for those that will eat of it to be given life. Very interesting. Uh, and the only thing that I know to tell you of that is this, that we will not hunger or thirst, but we will enjoy eating and drinking. As a Baptist, I say amen to that. I am very excited. Uh, I, I think that eating is a pleasure, a joy that God has given to us. I really do. I think I have thoroughly abused it, and others many times have abused the, the, the joy of eating. But when, when we get to heaven, we won't be eating because we're hungry. We won't be drinking because we're thirsty. 
but we'll be eating and drinking simply for the pure joy of being able to do so. And what a wonderful thought that, again, this thing is something that God has given to us. There's another peculiar thing here, because now we're outside of the millennium. We are now in what we consider to be the rest of eternity, and not that there's sections of eternity, because eternity has no time. It's the best way we know to explain it. And yet, we find here a reference to time, don't we? It's going to bear fruit every what? Every month. It's going to, uh, notice it says here in verse number 2, that uh, that bears 12 manner of fruits and yielded a fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I've given a lot of thought to this, and I think I'm going to share a thought with you. It could be wrong, but I think we're, we're along the right, right uh, place on this. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, before man sinned, there was uh, the sun and the moon and the stars were given, and they, they went through their cycles. The Bible says that they were for the, uh, the determining of the, the seasons and the times. I don't know, since we're in eternity, we won't have the times. But I wonder if, whether or not, we won't have seasons. Uh, that's a very interesting thought. And, and again, it's just one of those things that, if there's a reference here to it bearing fruit every month, uh, there certainly is some kind of an indication of a, a section of eternity, at least, uh, that's kind of segregated or set apart. Uh, so it's very interesting. Uh, I don't, you know, obviously it says every 12 months uh, that will bear uh, uh, the fruit uh, every month and that there's 12 fruits. So at the end of it, uh, I'm assuming it just starts over with another 12 months and uh, goes and bears them again in a cycle. Um, Again, there may be some discrepancy on that, but I think that God created the seasons for our enjoyment. I believe that we'll see them in eternity. I believe we'll have seasons in eternity. And while we may not have a concept of time, I think we'll be able to enjoy those things uh, so much. So, uh, yeah, not, not a very important thing, but just an interesting thought. Okay, but He does talk about in verse number 2 that this tree of life, the leaves of it, are for the healing of the nations. And this speaks to the idea uh, of the spiritual uh, strength, the spiritual purity, if you will, uh, that will be maintained in heaven. Uh, there's certainly, we found at the very last verse, in fact, let's take a minute to look at this, uh, verse number 27 of chapter 21, the very last verse of the previous chapter. Let's look at it for a minute. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything uh, that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, understand that this this new creation that God has made, this new heaven, this new earth, and uh, the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, there's nothing in it that will defile it. It's going to be absolute purity, absolute holiness. And in verse number 2, he speaks to the fact that the leaves uh, of this tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And, and the idea here, uh, dealing with the spiritual health, that there's, there's not going to be wars, there's not going to be bickering, there's not going to be uh, fighting that's going on. Uh, there's going to be absolute peace in heaven. Uh, there's going to be a, a spiritual healing, if you will, uh, through uh, all of this. And then in verse number 3, he says, 
and there shall be no more curse. Boy, aren't we glad of that. For the very first time since Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed the earth, the curse is going to be done away with. Wow, what an amazing thought. The curse is gone. The Bible says there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And we get an opportunity for eternity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and, and God Himself. And we'll, great, we'll, we'll derive great joy in doing so. By the way, we derive great joy in serving Him now, don't we? Is there ever anything in this life more joyful to us than being able to be a part of the work that draws a soul to Christ? To rejoice in the work that God has done. And uh, there is a great joy in serving Jesus. He's even given it to us this side of heaven. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like on that side of heaven. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their forehead. So we're going to have an opportunity to see Christ face to face. And uh, there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Some people and commentators try to over-spiritualize this verse and talk about the fact that this is speaking of His holiness or His purity. But there is a reference here to candles and to the sun. So I believe it's speaking here not so much of a, a spiritualized light in the sense of purity, although that certainly will be there. But it is more speaking to the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, providing the light that is necessary for the city to be illuminated, for the world to be illuminated, and for the heaven to be illuminated. And there will be more than enough light there for all of that. And he said unto me, verse 6, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show unto His servants the things which must shortly be done. And then God speaks Himself specifically here. He says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now I want to take just a moment on this verse, and then we're going to move on. A couple of things that I think are very important to note. Number one is, he makes the statement, Behold, I come quickly. I don't know that that was speaking of brevity of time as much as he was speaking of the suddenness of the time. The fact that uh, when his coming, come, when, when his uh, time to come comes, that it's going to happen quickly. It's going to be instantaneous. It's going to be momentary. Uh, and so we need to understand that. Behold, I come quickly. In fact, uh, he comes without us knowing when he's coming. And we've certainly spent some time dealing with this when it comes to the idea of the rapture. And even uh, during the second coming, there will be a suddenness to it, although there will be a little bit more of a, an idea of when the time frame will be. Uh, even the second uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be a sudden coming. It will be a, a quick coming, something that's very instantaneous. It comes quickly. And then he makes this statement, and we've talked about this uh, all re really from the very beginning of study of Revelation. Blessed is he that what? Verse number 7, blessed is he that what? Keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. If, if all we do is study prophecy for the sake of, oh, that's interesting, or to get a knowledge of it, then we have, we have completely missed the purpose of prophecy. There are two reasons, I believe, specifically that God gave us prophecy, and there are many other reasons, I think, that fit under these two categories. Number one is so that we would know that we need to be prepared in our life, in the way we live, uh, for His coming. We don't know when it's going to be. And that we should live a particular way with view of eternity. 
The second one is, because we don't know when He's coming, is that not only should we worry about our life and how we live so that we can stand before Him at His coming and not be ashamed, but secondly, there's a great work to be done. There are many, many people that need to hear the gospel yet. And in the fact that we do not know when His coming is, then I believe for, for two very specific reasons that God gave us this prophecy is for us to make sure that our life is the way it should be. Are we ready for His coming? And by that, I'm not necessarily referring to our salvation as much as I am our, our sanctification. Have we, have we grown? Have we lived a life that is pure? Are we ready? If Christ came back tonight, would we stand there embarrassed or would we say, I've been faithful? to live the way that I believe you wanted me to live. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I know I'm not everything I should be for the Lord, and the Lord understands, He knows. Well, yes, we aren't everything we should be, and yes, He does know, but that does not give us a reason to sit back on our laurels and not try to live holy and righteous. We should put forth the effort. We should be diligently trying to be what God wants us to be. And when we're not, when that failure comes, when we realize I've, I've gone against Scripture here, there ought be a, a, a breaking of the heart, a contrite spirit there. And we've seen this throughout the book of Revelation, that when the judgment of God comes, these people don't have that. Their, their hearts are hardened. And so God is saying here, listen, I've given you this prophecy and I want to make sure that you keep the sayings of this prophecy, the things that you've learned from this. Keep them, and keep them diligently. It's not enough for us to just study prophecy so that we know that, that Jerusalem is 1,600 miles long and wide and tall. That's interesting to know. But more importantly, He's coming, and we don't know when it's going to be. And I better be ready. I better be ready. I better make sure that I have done all that I could to make sure other people know to go there as well. I've, I've got to do my part to share the gospel with others. And these ought to be motivating factors of prophecy. We've learned a lot of principles as we've gone through this book. It's been a wonderful journey. There are a lot of things applicable to our lives today that we found in this book, did we not? So many truths. And at the end of it, John said, this is faithful and it's true. And then God speaks up and says, Bless, or He says, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. It is important for us, having studied Revelation, that we learn the lessons from it and that we keep them. We live by them. Just as we would any other portion of Scripture, Revelation is one of those books that teaches us how to live while we're on this side of heaven. Even though it's dealing with things beyond the rapture and the end time events, it so vividly illustrates and teaches us principles to live by this side of heaven. And God says, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, verse number 8, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. This is the second time John's tried to do this now. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy what? Fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. 
That's the angel's decree. Don't worship me. I'm just a fellow servant. I'm going to be praising God. I'm going to be serving God for eternity just like you, is what he was telling John. He said, don't worship me. Worship God. Worship God. There are so many things, are there not, that vie for our worship, that try to get our attention. There are so many things in this life that we worship. You say, oh, I don't think I worship anything. I would say it this way, that anything that takes precedence or priority over the things of the Lord in our life become the idol that we worship to. And we all have them to some degree. Some more than others. One of the great challenges, one of the great... uh, one of the great tasks, I would say, of the Christian life is to be able to see what those are and to weed them out of our hearts so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Him alone that we would worship. This angel, a heavenly being, if he stood here tonight, we would be in awe, would we not? Could you imagine seeing an angel? Could you imagine hearing Him speak, standing here physically in front of us, our eyes open and we could see and hear Him? We would be in awe, would we not? I would say this, I know my heart would be tempted to say such a holy being as this angel, He deserves my worship and my praise. And what this angel is saying is, no, don't worship me. Worship God. Worship God. It's amazing how many times we worship things that aren't even as holy as the angel himself, much less God. He says, Worship God. In verse number 10, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He wanted the message to be out. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And here we find a verse that tells us that the character that we enter into eternity with is going to be locked in place. Uh, those that were wicked and ungodly, they're not going to have a chance of redemption. Their, their judgment is done. It's, it's going to continue to be unjust. And they're going to continue to be in the punishment of the lake of fire. Those that are righteous... They're going to continue through eternity with righteousness. It's going to be locked in. It's not going to be an opportunity for us to go back into sin and to become unjust at this point. But we will live eternity as a righteous person. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And we read a verse very similar to that last week, uh, that God began... The plan of man, He has ended the plan of man. He was at the beginning of it. He's at the end of it. And He was everywhere in between. And now He's there for eternity. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie... So we are to keep the commandments of God during eternity and not to be unjust as the list of things that were given in verse number 15. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you 
these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And aren't we glad He is? And the Spirit and the bride say, uh, uh, say come, and let him that, is, that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. If there's ever a verse of Scripture that would, uh, that would cancel out the teaching of determinism and Calvinism, that men are determined, some are determined to be saved and some not saved, it would be a verse such as this one, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Any person may, speak, may drink of this water of life if they've trusted Him as their Savior. It's every man's choice to choose God or to, to not. And so don't get wrapped up there. there. I've met a lot of people who used to be uh, Baptistic in their doctrine that began to lean toward the Calvinistic point of view that uh, God predestined some to be saved and some not to be saved and that they did not have a choice in the matter. The Bible says over and over again, whosoever will, whosoever will. And I'm so glad He gave each of us that choice. Uh, he says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And our prayer is this. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And John says, Amen. What a wonderful study it has been. I believe that we have an awful lot to look forward to. And there is a great joy, there is a great excitement in what we've studied over these last several months. But can I say this? More important than what we have to look forward to are the things that we've learned that we need to be doing today. The changes to our lifestyle. Things we need to be living today. Things we need to be doing to serve Him today. Let's not get this mindset that, well, I'm just human and God understands. Both of those statements are true. But that does not mean that we just sit back and wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Daily, we're to be bringing our minds, our imaginations, our bodies into, into subjection. We're to keep His commandments. Two different times He spoke of that in this final chapter as He wrapped it up and said, Blessed is He that will keep My commandments and keep the things that are said in this book. And we are to be living the way that God wants us to live. I've enjoyed learning about the end times, but may the things we've learned from this book affect us this side of heaven, that we would be all that we should be on this side of heaven. We need to pray, Lord, even so, come quickly. I'm ready. I was telling somebody last night, uh, I'm ready for the rapture. I am just ready for it. And uh, there's so much pain and suffering, heartache, uh, so much heartache. People are hurting. And, uh, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful for the rapture to just go ahead and happen. But until it does, but until then, we're going to keep living the way we should, and we're going to keep serving 
the way that we should. All right, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you'll bless it. It's been a wonderful study in Revelation. We've just kind of wrapped it all up tonight and finished it off. And yet our, our hearts remember the lessons that it has taught us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to often go back and reread the page.